Let's pray. Would you just say, Father, you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. You are our greatest treasure. All the treasures of this world put in a heap together would be nothing, nothing next to you. You are the treasure of our lives. You do not fade, you do not rust, and you cannot be stolen. For age upon age, we will know you in Jesus more deeply and more deeply as a treasure. For those of us who have tasted, we know, we know there is nothing like you. And even now, we've only tasted just a drop of the greatness of who you are. So help us to taste even more this morning, to wonder at who you are in Jesus, that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would open our hearts to perceive what really is there, what really is true, and that we would love it more and see you more clearly. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you've got your Bible, we're just going to start in a different place this morning. This is kind of breaking one of the preacher's number one rules, which is to start in a different passage than your passage. That's what we're going to do this morning. Exodus 33. If you've got a Bible, open it up. I'm going to read several verses there. I think that opening this way is going to help us understand what John is saying in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. So Exodus 33, I'm going to start in verse 11, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 17 and read, read some more from there. So we'll start in Exodus 33 before we get to our passage. Exodus 33, starting in verse 11. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. It's amazing. Jump to verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you've spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So God did pass by, and he spoke. And we hear what he said in Exodus 34, the next chapter, verses 6 through 8. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So what's going on here? In verse 11 of chapter 33, we're told the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. You go nine verses later and God says, Moses, you cannot see my face. What's happening? How can it be that he can see his face in verse 11 and you get to verse 20 and God says, no, you can't see my face. What's happening? What does it mean to see God's face? Just think about that. God's a spirit. He doesn't have a human body like us, at least not yet. Is God saying, I have a nose, and I've got a chin, and ears, and eyeballs, and cheeks, and you can't look at those, Moses, because if you look at those, you'll die? I don't think that's what God is telling Moses. He's a spirit. What does it mean, then, that Moses can't see the face of God? Just think about what it means for us to talk to someone face to face. You're talking about an intimate relationship when you see someone's face. Who's the closest person to you in your life? Could be a parent, child, friend, spouse. Imagine that you could never see their face again. You never see their face again. You can talk on the phone. You can email. But you can never be face-to-face with that person. It would put some distance between your relationships. Some of you know this. You've been in long-distance relationships before. It put distance there, and all you would want is to be with that person. I just want to be with that person face-to-face. When you talk about being in someone's face, you're talking about one of the most intimate types of relationship. So on the one hand, what we're told in verse 11 is that Moses had an intimate relationship with God as intimate as anyone who had ever lived. He's speaking with God face to face. But on the other hand, there's a kind of depth of relationship and intimacy that God is saying, Moses, you can't have it. You can't have it. This would be like, he says, you can't look at it because you'll die. This is like, I want to see an atomic explosion up close. You might see something, maybe, for a split second, and then you're dead. And that's what God is saying. If you look at his glory, you die. Unless, as we're going to see, someone dies so that you can look at his glory. Now, God does occasionally in the Old Testament take on a form that people can see. People see the angel of the Lord. Sometimes he appears as brightness or a pillar of cloud, a pillar of smoke, a pillar of fire. But those are just physical representations of who he is. He doesn't have a body. He's not made out of physical stuff. He'll show up sometimes that way. But that really isn't the fullness of what his glory is. And John, in our passage, is going to make that clear. God's glory is not simply how brightly he shines when he shows up. When he shows up, it's usually pretty bright. But that's not what John means about God's glory. It's not that he glows. It's how wonderful his character is. That's God's glory. 
God's glory is how amazing, how incredible a person he is in all of his qualities and attributes. That's what John means by glory. As much as Moses knew of God, he could not see the fullness of God's character. It was as though all that Moses knew about God which was a lot, as much as anyone had before. All of that knowledge of God's glory was as if Moses only saw the back of God's head and never saw his face. Now, the reason I bring this up from the start is because in the last three verses of John 1, 14 through 18, John is going to contrast the ministry of Moses with the ministry of Jesus. And what we're going to see in John 1, 14 through 18, is that through Jesus, we see the face of God. That's the climax of these 18 verses we've been working for, through. So here's, here's what John 1, 14 through 18 is going to tell us. It's three points of the sermon, and it's basically one run-on sentence. The Word became a man. Point one, so that we could see his glory, point two, so that we could see the face of God. That's where John is going in these five verses. So let's begin. The word became a man. That's the first thing we're going to see. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if you've been with us for the last two weeks, we've seen the Word is the one who made all things. He was in the beginning with God, and He was God. There was not anything that has been made that was not made through Him. That's who the Word is. And John's saying He became flesh. When he says that, he doesn't mean He became skin and bones. What he means is He became a human, a real human. The Word who made it all became a human. Now, if you've been around church or Christians for a while, that may not seem very remarkable to you. But it is up there with the top two or three most remarkable things you could ever think about or remark about. That the uncreated creator, boundless, limitless, the one who made all things, all creation, himself made himself a part of his creation. He made himself a real human with a human mind and a human soul and a human body made out of stuff. This is amazing. And yet he continued to be the boundless God of all at the same time. This would be like an author, someone who writes big stories, epic stories with histories and characters and wars and major events. And as he's writing, he writes himself into the story. He becomes one of the characters. When he does that, he doesn't stop being the author. He's still the writer. He's still writing it. But now he's one of the major characters in the story. He doesn't stop being the author. Just like Jesus makes himself part of the creation and continues himself to be outside of it. Except when Jesus does it, it's real. 
He was truly God, is truly God, and truly human. He will always be truly God. And get this, he will always be truly a human forever and ever. And this is the only way any one of us can be saved is because those two things are true of him. And Lord willing, we'll see that. He became flesh, John says in verse 14, and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt is a word that only the Apostle John ever uses in the Bible. It's a word that means to live in a tent or to tabernacle. So one way this could be translated is the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. You know the tabernacle, Moses was traveling with the people of Israel in the wilderness. The tabernacle was a tent where the glory of God resided in the middle of the people. So God's glory, would, they'd set the tent up, God's glory would come down and be in, the, be in the tent, and the people would camp around it, and his glory was in their midst. And John is saying, that's what Jesus is doing. Because he is God, now a man, he's where the glory is among us. He's tabernacling among us. He's the new tabernacle. He's the new place you go if you want to see the glory of God. And that moves us to our next point. He became a man so that we could see his glory. This is the second point that John is making. I want you guys to imagine the most beautiful, invisible flower in the world. most beautiful, invisible flower in the world. It's almost meaningless for me to ask you that question. Some of you are really nervous, like, it's red, I guess. It's kind of fading. It's almost meaningless to say that something is beautiful and it cannot be seen. And likewise, glory cannot do us any good, the glory of God, if we can't see it. It doesn't do us any good. The reason that God dwelt in a tabernacle in the old covenant among his people was so that people could see his glory. That's the reason that Jesus took on flesh and tabernacled among us, so we could see it, so it could do us good. Now, John is going to describe what he saw when he saw Jesus' glory. Look back at verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. What did he see? Was it shining? No. He doesn't mention Jesus' glow. He was glowing like, he glowed like a light bulb. He flew everywhere. He crackled like lightning when he showed up. No, that's not what he says. You guys have all seen pictures of little glowing baby Jesus. That didn't happen. I think he glowed on the Mount of Transfiguration. But Jesus didn't glow. That's not how people saw his glory. This is what John says he saw. We saw his glory, and it was glory as of the only Son from the Father. See about that. When John's going to mention the first thing about Jesus' glory, what does he mention? His glory was like the only Son from a Father. That's a peculiar thing to say, isn't it? Part 
of Jesus's glory, part of what makes him glorious is that he's a son and he relates to his father as a son. It's one of the most beautiful things we will see as we walk through this book, the book of John, that the father and son relate to each other with an energy of love that is glorious. John's saying, when we saw his glory, we saw he's a son to his father. That's the way they relate. If you want to talk about the glory of the Trinity and you don't mention the relationship that they have with each other, you're going to miss their glory. His glory is that he's a son to the Father. And the way they relate and they love is a significant dimension to their glory. It's not crackling lightning all around him. It's the relationship he has with the Father that's beautiful. Let's keep going. This glory, John says, is full of grace and truth. Do you see that? Just stop on that word full for a second. Jesus' glory is full of grace and truth. Look at verse 16. You see that word again. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Full is a really good word to describe Jesus. He's full. He's not empty. This is so important. Jesus is not empty. He was not empty. He had no needs John wants to make sure you know Jesus, the Word, didn't make this world because he was empty and he needed something from it. He wants you to know he didn't make himself a man because he needed to get something that he didn't have. This is crucial. From his fullness he came. From his fullness he made the world and from his fullness he became a man. He did not come to get full. If you don't understand this, you won't understand the grace of God. The word of God, God the Son, is full. And he always has been of joy, satisfaction, glory, power, goodness, life, full. So why would he make this world? Why would he become a man? Why would he die under the wrath of God? It was not to get anything he did not have. John's telling us he did it because he was full. He overflowed into this world in creation and in incarnation and in sacrifice. Think about a fountain. Fountains are full. They're bubbling up, right? You can just imagine a fountain in a park. They're full and they're spilling over. They're spilling over because they're full, not because they're empty. That's like Jesus. He's full of life and goodness and power and glory, bubbling up forever and ever and ever. And what spills over the sides to us? The power and goodness and kindness and life that spills over into you and me and in creation is called grace. It's the overflow of fullness. It's not because he wants to get something from you. This is crucial. He has poured out grace on us, undeserved kindness, because he's full. What an amazing God. And what, what does he pour out? He is full of grace and truth. So grace is free. 
You don't deserve it. God's glory comes to us freely. Oh, please hear this. Please hear this. You don't get God's glory by paying for it. You don't get God's glory because you're good enough. You worked harder than the person next to you. It is free. It's free kindness from the overflow of God. It's grace. You don't deserve it. And it comes to us in truth. The glory that comes to us is not mainly a shining ball of light. Glory comes to us in truth. That's why we spend time talking about words in a book. Truth is how we receive the glory of Jesus Christ. It's free, and it comes to us in truth, and that's how Jesus brought it. He's full of grace and truth. Now, verse 15, John the Apostle, who's writing this, is going to bring John the Baptist to the witness stand. Verse 15, you can see this. He says, John, he's talking about John the Baptist. John bore witness about him, about Jesus, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Now, this is a hard one, I think, for most Westerners to understand, because we don't treat our old people very well. But in some, for some of you, if I were to ask you, hey, who's the most, who has the highest status of any member of your family? You would say, well, it's my grandfather or my great-grandmother. They would have the highest status because they've been around the longest. And John is in that kind of culture. He's saying, listen, I don't want anybody to be confused. I was born before Jesus. And I've been doing ministry longer than Jesus. But I don't want you to think I'm better than Jesus because he's been around a lot longer. And he's been doing ministry a lot longer. This Jesus, the one who's going to look very human at times in our text, is going to look very human because he truly is one. And John wants us to remember this one who looks very much like a man is also the one who's always existed and through whom all things exist. He ranks before me because he was before me. Now then in verses 16 and 17, in order to show Jesus' glory... John the Apostle brings up Moses. This is where we were at the beginning. Verse 16. For from his fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What does that phrase mean? Well, John's going to explain in verse 17. We've received grace upon grace for... The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the way that the NIV translates it. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What John is saying here is that the law that Moses brought really was gracious. Sometimes we think about the law as a bad thing. The law was bad. That was God being mean. And then Jesus came, and that's God being kind. And John is saying that's not true. The law was grace. Jesus just brought way more grace on top of it. Grace upon grace. The grace of the old covenant is important. This, you guys, 
Two-thirds, if you look at your Bible, it's about two-thirds, right? Two-thirds of your Bible is the Old Testament. Two-thirds is the Old Testament, which means these people, when you read this first two-thirds, these people were living under the Old Covenant law of Moses. This is a grace to you. Hope you know that. Hope you don't ignore the first two-thirds of your Bible. It is God being gracious to you. Through the law, through the Old Covenant, God was showing that he's holy. He has a standard of righteousness. He's good, that we need a sacrifice for our, our sins. All of those things we know from the Old Covenant. But the graciousness of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament is mainly to prepare us for the greater grace of Jesus Christ coming. So know your Old Testament, but just remember that if the first two-thirds is all you have, if it's all you have, then you will be seeing the glory of God as it were from behind and not the face. The Old Testament prepares us to see the face of God in Jesus Christ. The Word became a man so that we could see His glory. Here's the third point. So that we could see the face of God. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Now we've got to ask again, is John not very smart? I mean... He just said the verse before. He mentioned the name Moses. And then in the very next verse, he says, no one's seen God. John's not dumb. Again, he's saying something very profound. He knows what you and I know. He knows that Moses saw God, but he also knows he only saw God in part. He never saw the fullness of God's glory he knows it's more than that Moses' eyeballs couldn't handle how bright God is. There's a bigger lesson here. That's what John is telling us. And it's this. Despite how gracious God was to the people of Israel, despite how gracious he was in giving them the law, the old covenant, they could not know the fullness of who he was through it. Even Moses, the mediator of the old covenant, couldn't see the face of God. He knew God as well as anyone before him. And he couldn't know the fullness of who God is. But, John says, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word only there, it's translated in verse 14 as only son. It means unique, precious. And when it's talking about a parent-child relationship, it's saying you're special, only child. So this is saying, verse 18 is saying, the only son, this precious, unique one who is God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The big reveal for us, the climax of this passage, is John is saying, remember Moses? That was gracious. But he only saw God in part. He couldn't see the face of God. Jesus lets you, talking about you and me who are alive today, Jesus lets you and me see something that Moses could only have dreamed about. Through him we see the face of God. You can know the full glory of who God is. Just let that land on you. You, a finite, 
limited creature can know the fullness of who God is through Jesus. Later in this book, in John chapter 14, the disciple Philip is going to ask Jesus almost the exact same question that Moses asked God. Remember when Moses said, please show me your glory? Listen to what Philip says. This is, this is John 14, verses 8 and 9. Philip says to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know God, you need to get to know Jesus. You need to get to know Jesus. That's what we're going through this gospel for, is so that we can get to know the person of Jesus. You say, I want to know who God is. I want to really know him. And what you're thinking is, I want to go in my closet, close the door, have a crazy experience, see a bright ball of light, and be changed forever. That's not what you're going to get. If you really want to know God, get to know Jesus Christ. Because if you see him, you see the Father. And we can know him in the truth. It doesn't matter how religious, how disciplined you are, it doesn't matter how much you meditate, pray, give. You cannot, you cannot know God truly without Jesus Christ. This is why he came, so that you would know him. It's what you need, Christian, and it's what your neighbors need. They need Jesus. That's what they need. And that's what you need most of all. Now, when God revealed himself in part to Moses... What did he reveal? Well, he revealed truth about who he was, right? That's the interesting thing about the passage we read at the beginning. It doesn't tell us what Moses saw. It only tells us what God said. And what did God say? He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. All of those things are true about God. All of those things are true. So why is this only a partial knowledge of God's glory? It's not because Jesus shows up and shows us a new character quality that we didn't know about God. You got that? It's not like God said, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, I'm forgiving, I'm just. Jesus, we're not going to tell him that we're also this. That's not how it works. Jesus doesn't show up and say, guess what? I'm also funny. That's not what Jesus is revealing, an extra character quality to God. No, Moses knew that God is gracious. He knew that God is merciful. He knew that God was faithful, loving, just, but he could not know the extent. He did not know how merciful God was. He did not know how gracious, how loving, how kind God is until the Son of Man came and died for those he loved. 
If you want to ask the question, you can just take the list that Moses gets from God and you want to say, okay, God, you're gracious. How gracious? God can point to Jesus and say, that gracious. My only son who has all the worth of God in himself became a man and died for sins that were not his. That's infinite grace. Moses never dreamed of that. You say, how just is God? God can point to Jesus and say, I'm that just. I didn't cheat to forgive your sins. Every one of them is paid for with the infinite, precious blood of my son. You say, okay, we know you're loving God, but how loving are you? God can say, I gave my son, whom I have always loved, with an infinite energy of love for you. That's how great my love is. Jesus shows us the invisible flower. He shows us the greatness of God's glory. Your salvation is not a small thing. It's not a small thing. John has been building up this whole time to this point. This one that we're talking about is very God. Oh, very God. That's not the climax of this passage. This one who is very God has life in himself. That's not the climax. This one who is very God became a man. That's not the high point. It's this, that the one who is God became a man so that you and I might know the infinite goodness of God in him dying on the cross for those he loved. This is what we're coming back to week after week in the Gospel of John is seeing Jesus Christ. And if you trust him, if you trust his death in your place and his resurrection from the dead as your salvation, your gracious salvation, he's going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you so that you can have the fullness of who God is dwelling in you and showing you who he is more and more forever and ever. Your salvation is not a small thing. And it's because the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and showed us God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you have shown us how gracious God is. A goat did not die for our sins. You who possess all the worth of God did. You have showed your great love in that while we were still sinners, you died for us. So I pray that you would help us to trust you, and I pray that you would make the one overruling passion of our lives at Redeemer Online to be to know you, Jesus, and to make you known because that's how we can know your Father and live. It's in your precious name we pray.